Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach here at the mic, with the same friends and colleagues joining me as always, they being Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. G'day, Paul. G'day, everyone. And Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. You're sounding wonderful this evening. Thank you very much. This evening. Is it night time when you're listening, is it? Possibly, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right Coming up on the show, we look at the ever-expanding presence of petrodollars in sport, as a lot of that is in football, we call upon for and against alumni David Gill to help us uh, run the audit. Uh, in the shootout, we'll look at the prospect of banning Russia from the Olympics, as well as some trouble brewing at the home of golf. Of course, we'll wrap it all up with Red Card Yellow Card, where of course we enjoy poking fun at uh, sporting types who have mucked up off the field of play and done something they'd wish we'd forget, but it's our job to make sure we don't forget. Please don't forget yourselves to use the hashtag RCYC on social media if you see such an incident to draw it to our attention. And with regards to social media, you can find us on Twitter at forandagainst underscore and on Instagram for.and.against. But for now, let's get into the show. Uh, Look, we talked last show about Saudi Arabia's unsolicited and ultimately rejected bid to buy Formula One. Well, it'll surprise no one to learn that that hasn't dissuaded them from making their presence felt further across sport. And it's not just the Saudis splashing large wads of cash across the sporting landscape, uh, but we'll come to some others soon because I want to start with the announcement that Visit Saudi will be the sponsor of the 2023 Women's Football World Cup, a sponsor, I should say, but one of the chief sponsors. So as I see it, you'll have women who have already identified themselves as gay, playing in front of signs encouraging people to visit a country where homosexuality is effectively, if not literally, a crime, and indeed a country that ranked fourth in a 2019 Forbes magazine article regarding the most dangerous countries for the LGBT community. So I think yeah, I know where you, I, I know you might know where I stand, uh, Riles, on the on the notion that this uh, that this country is sponsoring the women's uh, women's World Cup. Do you have a an opinion, yay or nay? I'm a nay. It's it's outrageous. It's outrageous on so many levels. Women's rights being uh, a key one, uh, and sports washing being blatant. There's another little angle on this that really bothers me though. Why isn't Tourism Australia? One of the main sponsors. I mean, seriously, we're, we've got we're going to have billboards around saying uh, visit another country. What was the whole point of winning the rights to host it in the first place? And surely something like this. Yeah, you know, I, I object to it being visit Saudi, but I'd I'd object to it saying you know visit Thailand, visit the USA, visit mm. Canada. You know, it's, this is ridiculous. It's a really good point, actually. Just sort of. Saudi Arabia adds an extra layer. Jono? Oh, look, uh, I'm in furious agreement with you, but I, I did find it slightly amusing slash ironic to, to read a couple of the marketing de- team's uh, press releases around uh, this to yes. try and defend the decision. Oh, yes. So it was said, oh, but, you know, the Saudi Arabians have made some big changes to women's mm. rights in recent years. Mm. They've ended the ban on driving. They've uh, amended the oppressive guardianship law that would allow the first time women to actually apply for official documents such as a passport mm. and to travel abroad independently. So golf club, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sounds like Greg Norman's writing those press releases. <laughs> uh, let's bring in David Gill. Uh, as I say, foreign against alumni, regular listeners from the past will know David's voice well. G'day, Gilly. Welcome to the show. G'day, Richie. Great to be back. Good to have you back as always. Now you've been listening to our commentary here on Visit Saudi, sponsoring the 2023 Women's Football World Cup being held in Australia. And New Zealand. I'm guessing you're probably not going to deviate too much from the party line on this one. No, I'm really excited about it. Um, <laughs> ma- mainly because I'm picturing um, 
Gianni Infantino at the opening ceremony, staring solemnly into the camera and starting with, today, I am a Saudi woman. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's... Seeing the bright it's, side um, there, Gilly. Yeah, it's really... This one's difficult to defend, but FIFA's involved, so <laughs> we shouldn't expect anything less. Uh, I was predictably uh, condemned by our national treasurer, Craig Foster. And I think all of the arguments um, about why are justified and it's difficult to argue with anything that anybody on this show or anything that I've read in the, in the mainstream media have said about it. And I guess the question is, you know, what can be done about this? What kind of statement can be made during the tournament to, to somehow mitigate whatever damage may be caused by this? And that's, mm. that's difficult. I mean, the, the players, the players can protest, but but FIFA have shown their colours in that department as well. You protest in a way that we don't like, and there will be consequences, and you may be suspended from performing. So that's a difficult thing for a player who's dedicated the last four years of their life um, to to appearing in this tournament to 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 give it up um, for human rights purposes. Craig Foster has been very vocal. He was very vocal about Qatar as well, but um, I saw him commentating uh, on SBS pretty regularly during that World Cup. Hmm. So it's it, it's really difficult. Um, I don't think the Australian organisers will be minded to be as pliable as the organisers in Qatar were uh, in terms of you know towing the the party line and and the FIFA line and vice versa really. Um, but even even for the organisers and for Football Australia, it's dangerous territory because FIFA has has shown in the past that they can be vindictive. And mm. if you take them on, there will be consequences. So my call is to the Australian crowds to to somehow uh, make a statement uh, against this or, or a statement that celebrates what the tournament should be celebrating, mm. which is, you know, the incredible development of women's football over the last 10, 20 years. I guess give FIFA some credit. They they have played a big, a big part um, in that, um, but this is now it is a, it is a huge tournament. Uh, I don't know where it ranks in the kind of the ranking of international sports tournaments, but it would be getting close towards the towards the top. So mm. let's hope the, the spectators can somehow uh, make a statement. I don't think that's something that FIFA can control. I don't think the security guards at Australian stadiums will you know stop people from <laughs> wearing particular clothes. So that's that's my hope for a happy ending I don't here. Know if their brief is don't let anyone with a rainbow t-shirt. But um, is there scope perhaps for the the Australian women's team to make a bit of a pre-recorded statement like the Australian men's team did before the the men's World Cup recently? I mean, the the men's team made a strident they had a strident message without necessarily overplaying the political angle. Like, I mean, they got away with it in heavy quotes. I, well, it, that's a fair call, Gilly, isn't it? I mean, FIFA can be vindictive, but I think the, the Socceroos quote-unquote, got away with making that statement. Is that correct? And therefore, can we see the women, maybe the Aussie women doing something similar? Yeah, for sure. I guess that's, it's just not the same as doing something on the field of yeah. play like the Iranian team did, did during the World Cup. Uh, I think that's uh, – and the German team as well and then got, you know, roundly criticised for it based, <laughs> based on the fact that they then lost that game to Japan. But yeah, I, I think it's tough for the footballers to do something in front of the hundreds of millions who, who will be watching um, – 
watching them in action. Bear, uh, interested in your thoughts as to, I guess, the relationship generally between Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states and FIFA, um, particularly in light of the recent Men's World Cup in Qatar. There's been, you know, a lot of rumours that Saudi Arabia may be in line to get the upcoming Centenary World Cup. Do you, does this just demonstrate how close the ties are between Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states and FIFA? And, and is there anything that can be realistically done about that? Well, it, I mean, there are lots of countries in Asia, right? Uh, so Asia has a lot of power within FIFA because each member federation of FIFA has an equal vote when it comes to voting for the FIFA president. So yes, yes, they do. They they have votes that count when the big decisions get made uh, in FIFA, and then they also have bucket loads of money. It, it's it's difficult to see what can be done to to stop them. Um, the only thing that I can see, which is really radical, but which is take football away from FIFA, just end end mm. FIFA, um, <laughs> which, you know, that seems impossible to do. Um, but is it really? I mean, what does what what value is FIFA really adding? Um, they've done a marvelous job of commercializing the World Cup, but it's not exactly a difficult product to to manage and and sell and and market. I mean, any I mean, the four of us could probably run a World Cup pretty well. <laughs> Ah, oh, look, I'd, I'd back us to do better than FIFA, but I, I, my cautionary tale on this is that the the next in line to to run the World Cup or, or to take over from FIFA would probably be some combination of an investment bank, and you know a, a group of ex uh, country officials, and I think they had a big go at Super League a little while back. Uh, they're no doubt they can have another go, and. Um, yeah, I've, I don't fancy chances. I don't know that I agree with the, the, the votes, though. I, I don't think, I mean, Asia, having so many countries in it, I don't know, have they voted as a block in the past? I, I can't imagine that the Middle East has much influence over how the Southeast Asian uh, countries vote. Uh, they have, uh, and there was Mohammed bin Harman, who you know, disgraced mm -hmm. former um, head of the Asian Football, the AFC, Asian Football Confederation. I think it is, and he, yeah. he certainly had a lot of influence through the region. And again, it it comes down to money. If Qatari Football Association or Saudi Arabia Football Association is making huge sponsorships to the football associations of Laos and Cambodia and the Philippines, it's it's not mm. hard to to be persuasive. Yeah. All right, well, look, that's that's the uh, that's the international level, and uh, he's hoping the the of course the twenty twenty three Women's Football World Cup goes off spectacularly well which i'm sure it will it'll be very well supported and hopefully we can somehow subvert subvert the uh, visit saudi arabia message gilly onto some domestic stuff uh, in particular in england uh, but it's still relating to the petrodollars our good friends at man city have been busted spending a little bit too much money on their club and correct me if i'm wrong but they, i think it's sort of much of the problem is them well how they how they labeled some of the money that was essentially coming from the state and or their sponsor, which is essentially a state-run enterprise. Yeah, I think the the one that's always mentioned was a huge sponsorship from the Qatari Tourism Board. There's a common theme here, <laughs> uh, and obviously, obviously, the tourism industry in Qatar is uh, is absolutely massive. Uh, millions and millions of people each year visit Qatar for its wonderful sand. Um, Forty-five. So degrees. and. This tourism board was was paying Manchester City a huge sponsorship, and questions were asked about: Is that legitimate, or is this just a a ploy to to assist Manchester City to stay within the bounds of UEFA's uh, financial fair play rules? Which they did get 
they did get called on all of this probably about four or five years ago now, and they managed to dodge that, um, but not not in an argument based on substance and merit. They 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 kind of wriggled out of that one based on statute of limitations, and now essentially the same charges have been brought by the English Premier League, uh, but they are not time barred in any way. Uh, Manchester City is furiously um, protesting their innocence. And I guess, Jono, as a litigator, you will uh, tell us that it's all going to depend on the on the evidence. It sounds like a very satisfactory matter for a number of QCs over in, uh, <laughs> over in England, or KCs, I should say now. Mm. What are the chances of them actually being punished for their, uh, for their misdeeds or their alleged misdeeds, Gilly? I think if they are found guilty and we'll you know we'll have to wait for justice to take its course but if they are found guilty the ramifications are potentially serious they they could be relegated uh, and they could be relegated down as far as league one or league two which would be fantastic i mean i'd love to see manchester city playing against scunthorpe united and, and port vale <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, but that, Rexham, that is theoretically possible. Rexham would be fantastic. Yeah. You know, with yeah, Ron Reynolds, cool. we get the, the, the Hollywood stars in. Oh, my goodness. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. They're not going to be found guilty. Who are we kidding? Really? And they're not going to really? get relegated. That's the assumption, isn't it, right? As a casual sports fan, you know, that's that's the assumption that they'll just get away with this, unfortunately. But see, I mean, it, that was my first reaction, but the, the Premier League has brought these charges. So uh, it's – and they're serious allegations to make, so – Let's see how it plays out. And speaking of petrodollars, uh, Bear, we were also uh, watching very closely the current politicking and bidding around Manchester United. I know that's a club extremely dear to your heart, so you'd be thrilled to see that Qatar is uh, right in the running, apparently, along with uh, Britain's richest man, Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this development? Yeah, we're either going to have the CEO of a chemicals company or another Qatari entity, I don't know how you describe it, which is somehow not connected in any way to the Qatari entity that owns Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, look, as a, as a Man United supporter, bring it on. <laughs> we haven't won the... <laughs> oh, here's the sellout. Here's the sellout. We haven't won the Premier League for over 10 years. And I have you know, read a few articles uh, very critical about how Qatari sports investments have run Paris Saint-Germain and what a disaster that's been. But Paris Saint-Germain have won eight of the last... 10 league titles in France. They came second in the other two. And before this happened, they hadn't won for over a decade. So bring it on. No, look, I I, I, um, I do I do love Manchester United and uh, so, so does Stephen. Uh, and this year, we're actually back for the first time in a long time with a team that looks exciting and good. And I guess I'd be going for Sir Jim Ratcliffe. At least he seems to have some respect for the traditions of Manchester United. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something. I mean, when you look at Manchester City, they got a bit of money in the door, and they went from perpetual sort of placing seventh to to rising to the to the top and paying their way. I, I just think you know, just to sound like a grumpy old man, um, you know, it's 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 a sad sight for the game when you can buy a premiership. Um, you know, that's the part that we want. We want more Leicester Cities winning the it's Premiership. It's been going on in every sport for the last 25 well, years. No, not every sport. A lot of sports introduce very specific measures to make sure that doesn't happen, such as salary caps and drafts, which the Premier League mm. distinctly does not, which is why it is a, a feature in particular of the Premier League. Now, sticking with petrodollars but shifting sports a bit here, Jono, there's a few petrodollars in the Live Golf Just setup. a couple, aren't there? One or two. Yeah, yeah. This is the Saudis as well, isn't it? It is, Back yep. to the Saudis. Piff. 
PIF, the, the something in investment, investment fund. fund yeah. yeah. Now, I was curious to see a couple of tweets which I shared with you, and hopefully you've digested them and sort of can make more of them than I did, but they seem to be shifting sands in how they um, represent how much the government is behind the PIF in order to suit whichever sport they're, uh, they're investing in. Yeah, did, good. You see, did you have a look at what I sent you? I did, Rochi. Thanks for sharing that. And good metaphor it. with the shifting sands as well. I, I like there? it. I did. Yeah. yeah, so there's some legal wranglings going on in LIV at the moment, a lot of litigation going on in the US uh, around uh, LIV v. PGA. And as part of that litigation, I think there was some kind of request for documents to be produced by LIV. And in response to that, LIV said, no, we don't have any documents, and they claimed sovereign immunity. And on that basis, they weren't obliged to hand over those documents to the PGA. Yet at the very... So sovereign sovereign immunity, just to be clear here, is saying because we're a country, we don't actually have to do what you're asking We don't have to abide by that statutory requirement or whatever the requirement might be in the litigation to hand over the material. However... At the very same time, (laughs) this investment fund is saying in relation to the EPL, the Premier League um, Owners and Directors Test, that it's not controlled by the Saudi government. And that was directly relevant in the, I think, the the sale of the Newcastle Football Club. So a little bit of um, dancing of feet going along there. But, yeah, lawyers at 10 it's quite, passes again. It's quite, clear, it's quite clear that the left sand doesn't know what the right sand is doing. <laughs> <laughs> it pains me to applaud that, Roz, but that was good. <laughs> Gilly, were you aware of that, the, um, the duplicitous nature with which the PIF was, was representing themselves, especially in... With respect to was it Newcastle? It was Newcastle, wasn't it? It was Newcastle, mm. and uh, I can I can tell you that Newcastle and Newcastle United fans um, don't really care at all. But they, they, <laughs> no, they just want to win again. They're happy to be competitive for the first time in a while, and they're playing. Uh, ironically enough, uh, their first they they will be competing for a trophy for the first time since I think the nineteen seventies. This Sunday night against, ironically enough, Manchester United in in the League Cup. So. Bring it on. There you go. And now, Gilly, before we let you go, I've just got a little sort of related to this. I'm just going to slip in a little bit of it. it's not sport, but we like it kind of thing. Because Stephen Riley, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there is Saudi money also chasing or also being talked about in the potential purchase of this thing called WWE. Mm-hmm. Did you know that, Steve-O? Apparently it's up for sale. Now, I know you're I a did. mad wrestling, inverted commas, fan or certainly have been over the journey. And uh, Vince McMahon's looking for $9 billion uh, for the WWE, the, of course, yeah. famous pretend wrestling uh, extravaganza. And the Saudis want in on that as well, apparently. They, they, they know good product when they see it, Paul. <laughs> the world's premier athletes delivering the, the, the most engaging stories week after week after week. They've got a show that's the longest-running weekly episodic show on television in the States. Weekly. Of course they want it. But I think the WWE have come out publicly and said, no, 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 we never sell to them. But, you know, <laughs> we we'll shall see. see. Dave, what are you thinking? Don't all of the female wrestlers in WWE pretty much have male guardians? Don't they always have, like, their male sidekick who's you know, in the corner? <laughs> Maybe there's so, connection there. So it's, it's interesting. The last few years they have taken a lot of money from Saudi to have a big pay-per-view event in Saudi once a year. And in the money been done twice, uh, a couple of times, and lots of protests about it. A couple of wrestlers who refused to go, and the women when they wrestle there, wrestle in a full um, neck to toe gear. They they don't expose 
mm. in his skin. And and it's been interesting, you know, just the uh, the, the, the talking about women earlier um, in the segment that they uh, they get standing ovations for broaching you know, new ground for women in a sporting sense. So, but it's, it's not going with exposing the, the the skin in the decadent West, but it's it is gradually moving forward. At least that's what the WWE says. It's a real window yeah. then, uh, to Stephen's like viewing <laughs> habits, isn't it? The fact that you are so across <laughs> the WWE still after all these years—weekly, quite extraordinary. Does, um, I'll, does, love it, love it. Does Ronda Rousey change her her name for the events in Saudi? Is she like respectful Ronda Rousey instead of rowdy Ronda Rousey, or <laughs> stays the same? No, no she, she does not. And then they pay. I imagine the dollars that they pay people like Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar are off the charts, just off the charts. Yeah, David Gill. Thank you very much for joining us once again to talk primarily football, but also just generally petrodollars in sport around the world. Good to have you back, mate. We'll hopefully see you again sometime soon. Thanks, guys. Great to be there. Good stuff. And look, finally, just to wrap this segment up, I'm as much as the, the accusations of sports washing are quite legitimate and valid, I wonder whether they're also being a bit smart, these, these um, Middle Eastern countries, because they can see a limit to how long oil is going to pay for their lifestyle, and they're looking to diversify to some degree. So I don't know. Totally. It's a possibility. Possibility. Absolutely. Very completely. Alrighty, well there you go. That wraps up our discussion on petrodollars in sport. Let's come back with the shootout. Okay, yes, on to the shootout uh, where we cover a couple of topics in quick fire fashion. And first of all, let's go to the Olympics. Do we rule out Russia? There's uh, a very much live conversation with Paris 2024 not too far away as to whether Russia should get an invite. Uh, no thanks for me. Uh, I don't know. They've stepped are you over saying a bit no? They you saying no? Thanks. We should not rule them out, or no? Thanks. Ooh, we should. Rule yes, them out. I've created a bit of a double, double negative there, haven't I? Um, they should not be going to Paris twenty twenty four. Big international bodies like the IOC are morally obliged to prevent belligerents such as Russia, and, and given what they've done to, to uh, that, preventing from participating in the world stage. Yeah, the the counter argument to that could be. And I'm not suggesting this is the right argument, but it could be, look, look what the tennis federations did or the tennis players did. They were allowed to compete um, as neutral players. But I think the easy counter counter to that is, you know, tennis players aren't directly funded and supported by the country. Whereas, you know, by, by definition, the Olympic teams of these countries are going to yeah. be funded. And there's also, I didn't realise this, but some really close links apparently between Russian athletes and the Russian military, a really strong history and tradition there. So that's something that, you know, is causing a lot of angst as well. So, again, I think this is a tough one. I think governments of more than 30 countries, including Australia, have issued a please explain. Um, But at this stage, the IOC is looking at exploring a pathway to allow them to compete. Mm. Steve-O, thoughts? Yeah, I think they've got to be allowed to compete as neutral. Uh, I think Simon's point about, you know, government-funded, Athletes, it's just hard to separate, and there's so many athletes now who are, you know, out on their own and they're they're doing it themselves, especially in yeah you know, the, the the new sports, the the extreme sports type stuff. They're 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 making their money in in areas that have nothing to do with the government support, and trying to break it up, I think, gets tricky. Look, the one that I feel more saddened about is is the the Ukraine probably end up competing as neutrals as well, which you know I think all those thirty countries would object to. I think they do. Why? This is this because that's what happened with the tennis. Remember the tennis? You couldn't show I mean, either Bel- Ukraine, Belarus. Oh, sorry. No, no. I mean Ukraine. 
you, Ukraine, what happened to Ukraine players in the tennis? They couldn't show their flag. Well, I'm not sure if it's that relevant. Are there any top Ukrainian tennis players? I, I'm not sure. But what, um, it, just complete you, your point, no, Steve. I thought, Sorry. No, I thought I, I thought if they were if they were making the Russians compete as neutral, they had to make Ukraine compete as neutral as well because of the the, the conflict bit. Are they not going that way? Are you talking about the Olympics scenario? Yeah. Um, I yeah. haven't heard or seen anything to that effect, but I can't say definitively that you're incorrect. The tennis thing's got me stumped. You're saying that Ukrainian players... Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't think Ukraine were, were able to... It doesn't make Ooh. sense. It doesn't make okay, sense, Steve, because, I mean, surely the whole point of saying to Russia, uh-uh, you're not coming, is because they've done this egregious act and, you know, created some fantasy land, fantasy uh, story, and invaded the neighbouring country because they're a bit worried about NATO coming, knocking on their door. I think the West has been pretty careful to say, look, the only bombs we're going to fire are going to be on Ukrainian land until you're out of here. We're not here to get you. It's a defensive uh, exercise, military exercise on the part of Ukraine and all their supporters. And Russia is trying to invade an otherwise peaceful country that, yes, used to have a bit of history with them, but are doing their best to separate themselves. So I'm just, so, there's no so comparison. Just pretending, just pretending that I was completely informed by, and not that I just went on uh, the internet while you were rambling and ranting and lecturing. <laughs> Deliberately you are correct. Time there, mate. It was... It was it was Russian and Belarusian and Belarusian players who were yeah, right. who were affected at Wimbledon. You're spot on. Yeah, so right. I'm sure that's not were. the case. But speaking yeah. of Wimbledon, so I mean that that raises a good point because Wimbledon, who did I think they outright banned Russian and maybe Belarusian players as well. Didn't just do the neutral thing. They no, you're not playing. 2022. Uh, 2022. Yeah, yeah exactly. they're allowed to yep. play this year. Yep. But then Wimbledon got hammered. This, was it the and we covered it on the show. They, they weren't. The, well, they lost their rankings points, and it wasn't an official, you know, ATP sponsored event. As they a got result. a massive fine and as well fine. from the they ATP did. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, they got fined by the ATP, so and they, and you're right. The points goal got taken away, and so a whole lot of players. Um, it'd be interesting to see if their opinion changes next year because a sporting body, the ATP in that case, the equivalent of the IOC, was trying to be apolitical. And look, there's some sort of, if I had enough time and mental capacity, there must be some sort of link back to Moscow 1980 and sort of wistful link back to then when, of course, most of the Western countries, including to some degree Australia, boycotted the Moscow Olympics due to that country's invasion of Afghanistan. Sport and politics. Don't mix, Johnny. Don't mix, mate. Nah, nah. Come on. A second and final item in the shootout, golf. Now, Jono, as our resident golf lover, and I know you're always worried when it is I, our resident golf... Look, I'm not going to say hater, because I know that that alienates one of our most dedicated listeners and providers of feedback, so I won't actually say the hate word, but you know what I mean. Uh, When I want to talk golf on the show, I can't believe the scope and the drama of the current controversy (laughs) casting both a shroud and a pall over the home of golf, St. Patrick's. St. Patrick's. St. Andrews. Oh, Oh, yeah, St. Andrews, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, look, Rochi, it's it's big news in the world of golf. St. Andrews and the Swilkin Bridge, um, the scandal in the state old world world of golf. The Swilkin Bridge. Yeah, we'll we'll come to that. So why is it called the Swilkin Bridge? What is the Swilkin Bridge? So Mm. it's on the 18th hole at St. Andrews. It's an iconic bridge um, and it's called the Swilkin Bridge because the Swilkin Burn so like a little, it used to be a river but I'm not sure there's any water in it Climate traverses, change. probably, traverses the first fairway and the 18th fairway uh-huh. and on the 18th fairway there's this beautiful stone bridge and it's been there for 600 years Ooh, really? and it's iconic, um, I've been there I've played at St Andrews, I've had my photo taken there 
it's one of those images in golf that everyone knows. Now, some images emerged uh, earlier this year that St Andrews had decided to do some renos mm. to the Swilkin Bridge because with bad weather and everyone who plays at St Andrews stops at the Swilkin Bridge to get their photo taken, there'd been so much foot traffic that... Oh, um, divots almost just from became, the traffic. Well, it became very muddy and everything. And so what uh. they did was they decided to build this paved area. Now, being a radio show, I want to paint you a little you know, picture Please. of what it looked like. It was... It's it's pretty hard to describe, but if you can kind of imagine an ugly new build landcom landscaping architecture mm. from the northwest of Sydney, <laughs> or the outer suburbs being, of Melbourne, or the outer suburbs of, yeah. of Melbourne, with the oi, with oi, the okay, with the no call for that, and if you juxtapose that against the untouched rustic medieval stoneworks that mm. have been in place for six hundred years, it just looked so out of place and so outrageous created a massive storm you had everyone from nick faldo to various other people within golf saying how terrible it was funny enough st andrews have backed down and they're ripping up the uh the ugly pavers and they're gonna really? yeah wowzers oh my goodness seriously uh, because because people like you simon and nick faldo have you know any sense of exterior design um, ah, come on people uh, they anyway. don't build bridges like they used to <laughs> Uh, on to Red Card Yellow Card. It, it almost felt like we started Red Card Yellow Card a bit early there with that, that uh, story on the Swilkin, Swilkin Bridge. That Swilkin Bridge, yeah. Swilkin Bridge. Okie dokie. But let's move into Red Card Yellow Card proper. Steve-O, Riley, what is your nomination for Red Card Yellow Card, the show? I rem- do, you, do you remember from, I think it was in the 80s, Dion Sanders, yeah. NFL player. No. I do like tapping the NFL. They, they, opportunities for hypocrisy abound, especially when former grades... And, and Deion Sanders is an African-American great of the game. He's gone into coaching. He now coaches the University of Colorado. And he was expressing some of his uh, recruiting logic. And, mm-hmm. well, in, in what, what he basically said was um, he, was explain, he was explaining how what they're looking for in quarterbacks is different for what they're looking for in players of other positions. We want a mother, a father dual parents we want that kid to have a 3.5 gpa or higher he has to be smart not bad decisions off the field of all no bad decisions off the field of all because he has to be a leader of men basically Deion sanders wouldn't he wasn't a quarterback by the way but he wouldn't qualify and his kids wouldn't qualify he's 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 i just i just think you know he's setting up a whole range of well, it, it, it ends up being racial, really, when we, we follow it through. But it's uh, yeah. great to the game. They get positions of power, and they just forget. They just forget. Deion Sanders, at your mercy, maybe yellow card. Yeah, sounds like a yellow. I think a yellow. Just, yeah. just trickles into yellow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, what's he talking about? Not yeah. sure. What's he talking Jono, what have you got for us, mate? Oh, um, mate, uh, this is meat and potatoes, red card, yellow card, oh, so we're okay. Good stuff. Pretty straightforward stuff, this one. Blimey. So, yeah, the, the footy season's uh, well and truly back. Well, not quite back, but, you know, the players are back pre-season, yeah. they're training. So 
rather than scraping the barrel like Riles just did, I've gone straight for rugby league and the much publicised incident between uh, Jack White and Latrell Mitchell mm. a little while back. Um, apparently, they're very good mates. They're teammates for State of Origin and the Indigenous All Stars. Had a big night for Jack's 30th birthday down in Canberra. Mm. Things got a little bit out of hand. They decided to have some play wrestling. As you <laughs> do, <one>. as you <laughs> do at 3 a.m. in the morning, play you just start beating each other up in a public place when you're, you know, rugby league players. Uh, of course, the police were called and soon they were in handcuffs and chucked into the clink overnight and have been charged with a fray and res- I think one of them for resisting arrest as well. So a bit, un- bit unfortunate. Um, matters currently before the courts. The one thing that I think was picked up, which was interesting, this is the second time that this has happened to Jack Whiten on a birthday party night. So five years (laughs) earlier, on his 25th birthday, the very same night, he was charged with assaulting five men whilst heavily intoxicated and was given a suspended jail sentence. This guy should not go out for his birthday. And five years ago, apparently the Raiders released a statement saying Jack is on his last chance at the club and he will be sacked if he has any similar incidents. Ooh. Some clear memory loss going on at the Raiders because I haven't heard any suggestions. Statue limitations. Play sure wrestling. It was play, play wrestling. Yeah, well, this, did you hear? That was the... <laughs> this is my question. Like, Did observers misun- misinterpret what was going on or did their play wrestling actually spill over into... Actually, this is a bit. We, what we look in order to answer that question, yeah. Rochi, we would need the same videographer who was there for the Carl Stefanovic, Michael Clark incident <laughs> to that? have taken some grainy footage, and then we could analyze it. I don't know. Yeah. Haven't seen in the any wrong footage. spot, obviously. Haven't seen any footage, so can't comment. Can, can I just can I just just check that because I reckon that footage does exist. You know, there are some fantastic shots of 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 Jack and Latrell hugging. And smiling and mugging for the camera uh, earlier in the night. I mean, no doubt. Latrell's at his birthday party because he's a mate, right? And this, <laughs> someone, they've, they've been photographing everything. Someone has this on tape. I am very Just confident this out. show will still be going in five years' time, and I can't wait to see what he gets up to for his 35th birthday. <laughs> we'll be still, still be here in one form or another. Uh, yellow card? I think yellow is subject to, you know, what happens before the courts. But let's go yellow for now. Well, should they, should he get anything? Should they just say, guys, they're just a couple of blokes having a bit of a bit of a wrestle. Yeah, it's 3am. Yeah, it's out in the road, outside a pub. Yeah, they're a bit pissed. Could be a bit of that, yeah. Canberra. You've got to start. Canberra seems to be trouble for rugby league players. Look, I'm nominating the Sydney Morning Herald for impersonating the age. Now, in at good old Sydney town, over the summer, there are things to be interested in other than just footy. So Sydney papers have non-footy stuff in them over the summer. Now, Melbourne, I think we all understand, is a bit obsessed. And in order to feed the Melbourne media beast, you need to get some pretty go to some pretty extensive lengths and arrive at some pretty trivial footy-related subject matters. It's footy 24-7 down at Melbourne and related parts of the world. Not here in Sydney, right? So imagine my surprise when I saw a headline in the Sydney Morning Herald in mid-February... Like you say, John Oak, footy players are starting to come back, but the season hasn't kicked off. Headline reads thus, It's mainly just a tasting. Why Giants rookie replaced his water intake with full cream milk. <laughs> That's the headline in the Sydney Morning Herald. Aha, I thought, what's the catch here? What's the twist? That was good clickbait, I thought, you know. So, of course, I clicked. I'd seen the byline and I recognised the journo, who I'm not going to name out of respect because he doesn't respect otherwise respected journo. So I was sort of expecting a story that would develop, you know, somewhat from that that quirky headline. Boy, was I wrong. So introducing folks, milk drinking Jason Gilby. Just to give you a taste of the article, no pun intended, he's describing his journey 
journey. To becoming a milk lover. It's a journey, exactly, yeah. I love that word. Everything changed, he said, when I moved to Bendigo for school in year 10. Oh, sorry, just context. Milk drinker all his life. Mum didn't buy enough of it because they drunk too much of it, right? Full, full cream, soy, oat. Preferred silk. Yeah, full cream. Full cream. He's a country boy yeah. from Bal Ranald originally in New South Wales. Everything changed when uh, uh, he moved to Bendigo for school in year 10 and was billeted with local family. Quote, that was probably like the real start of it. I always drank milk before that, but like it was just there all the time. That first year and a half, I'd always drink full cream. There you go, Jono. The family moved in and only had light milk. And I was like, I don't know about this at the start, but I sort of got used to it. And then light milk became fine. Uh, and that quote was followed by a close-up of Jason's t- slightly bemused face with a, with a milk moustache. Um, and it wasn't just a credible journo. It was actually a credible photographer, the, the guy that usually takes photos of storms and stuff around wow. Sydney. quiet news day. The entire 1009-word article was just about this kid drinking milk. That was it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Welcome to footy in February in Sydney. Well, I mean, it's echoes of Peter Siddle and the bananas, but yeah. <laughs> It's, I don't know. What? Can, can I just, 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 I, I think that, that that's red card. First of all, just yeah, even trying to replicate Melbourne sporting coverage is just, <laughs> you know, good luck. Ridiculous. Never going to happen. And, you know, that uh, that particular story probably would have been about six or seven pages <laughs> in from the back down here. How that got to run, I do not know. Don't do it again, Harold. Uh, and yeah, so red card. We're going. I'm going red. There. Okay, I want go on big. Why yeah, not? exactly. Yeah, I want, to, I want to snuff that out before it gets out of hand. Um, <laughs> and so, with the conclusion, red card that brings us to the conclusion of for and against another exciting episode. Uh, thanks for being part of it, Stephen Riley. See you, Paul. See you, Simon. See you, everyone. And to you too, Jono. Thanks once again for joining us on For and Against. See you, Richie. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget on the socials at for and against underscore on Twitter and Insta is for dot and dot against. Until next time, in about a couple of weeks, it's bye for now.